Welcome to the 6am Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6am Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6amrun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back to the 6am Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. I'm in a I'm in a really good mood today. I uh, little I don't do much pre-recording stuff, but our guest today, Ross, really had some dropped some knowledge on me, a few things. So I appreciate that. But as always, and may, may I'll be honest with you, I might be on a ketone high right now. I'm in the fourth quarter of a 48 hour fast, so I am I'm feeling pretty good right now. I don't know how long this is going to last, but. I digress. As always, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So this week we have Ross, and I usually ask you how to pronounce your last name. Is it Burgess? Burgess? It's Burgess. It's Burgess. Burgess. Okay. We have Ross Burgess on the show this week. I'm very excited about this individual. I'm very excited about this show because I think we're going to have something that I always try to have in these shows. I can't say I always do, but an organic yet authentic conversation. And I really, really want to have that. So Ross, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself to our audience? Certainly. Yeah. So I, my name is Ross Burgess. I live in the UK. I am a seven figure business owner and I also do some coaching on the side. Uh, I used to be depressed as hell, but over about the last 10 months, I've spun my life around discipline over pleasure and taking control of my life in the most absurd way possible and loving it. And the, the first of all, congratulations. That's, that's awesome. And, and Thank you. the word you mentioned, discipline, is something that I have been trying to help people with. Um, a lot lately because everyone is looking for inspiration. Everyone is looking for motivation. They're looking for that cliche saying, that motto that's going to get them out of bed and get them going and get them to the gym and get them to put down the bottle and get them to be a better parent or whatever. And what it comes down to is you may get that motivation to begin, but to keep going, you need that discipline. Yeah, 100%. Um, so my motivation initially starts off, I mean, We'll bounce around a little bit. I, I used to take a lot of drugs and uh, drink an awful lot, and I gave that up nearly two years ago. My problems were more, let's just say, ego-based and personality-based. I got diagnosed with ADHD, and I think you know, the drugs and drink were running from some aspects of pain. Uh, this became apparent, uh, and I upset someone who was very dear to me, which we no longer speak, but that then fueled me in a way that I can't begin to describe. Um, but it introduced me to concepts of discipline, consistency, purpose over pleasure, um, 
doing things without the outcome in mind. The process is beautiful, it's control, it's worthwhile in of itself. And it's an absolutely transformative process. And it, it, the, the process itself is beautiful. And, and a lot of times we don't see that while we're in it. Um, a lot of times we have to kind of get through it a little bit to see the, the beauty in it. But you say that you're, you know, multiple decades in sales and being an entrepreneur, running seven figure business, things like that. Were, while you were doing these things, were you abusing alcohol? Were you abusing drugs? And did anybody kind of notice these things about you or say anything to you? That's a great question. Um, well, in sales, everyone drinks. So that's the first thing. So, so that's kind of normalized, uh, just part of, the, part of the, the landscape. But when it came to me and my own business, you know, I have a very unusual constructed in, enterprise where it's just me. There was another person in that business, but they were remote from me. And if they knew, they didn't say. They may have had their reasons for not doing so. So, you know, no one stepped in and my alcohol use is always the root cause. But my cocaine use, let's just say I was at my zenith, I was spending about $3,000 a month plus equivalent. Uh, so not great. And I wasn't even going out. I was doing this at home. So it was wholly nihilistic, wholly self-destructive. Hilariously, you know, through all this period of time, I have been trading on and off. But of course, the uh, that falls to the wayside. And that's a, like a cognitive dissonance. It's like a theatrics to pretend that you're actually okay. And you're not because you're tearing yourself to bits on a daily basis. Um, yeah, it was, let's just say, not as much fun as they say. And from just the, the few minutes that we've been talking, it sounds like an extremely lonely life that you were living. Is that is that correct? It was, yeah. Yeah, loneliness, loneliness is the exact phrase. Loneliness, nihilistic, self-destructive, self-sabotaging, self-hating. Um, because for no apparent reason, apart from the reasons, right, my, my business was good in general, you know, there were problems. But the, the psychological and emotional baggage, wherever that came from, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, that clearly was unresolved. And loneliness, I, I constructed a life which manifestly made all those problems worse. So, so for example, it's highly automated, no staff, does very well, and it's either a blessing or a curse. Back now, it's a total blessing. Now it allows me to do many things that I could never do otherwise. Back then, it was like, it's a gilded cage. And, you know, what I, what I love about, I, I, let me say this, like, I, I, I don't like the fact that, you know, someone abused alcohol or abused cocaine or, or living the life that you're living. But the fact of the matter is that you're willing to speak about these things because there's someone listening that it might not be alcohol. It might not be drugs. It may be food. It might be sex. It might be, you know, anything that they can think of that they keep probably telling themselves that I don't have a problem. Like, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. But, yeah. Well, my, my, my favorite one was, I, I mean, it's like a shame glorification, mm -hmm. if you ever yeah. heard of that mm -hmm. term. Yeah. So I used to say self-medication, still medication. Yeah. You know, this is, and I thought it was a very, very, very funny fucker for saying so. And it was like, and the, the reality of it, myself, 
loathing was so extreme. And that because you, you know, you're ashamed. You're ashamed of this. You know, you're ashamed of it, but it manifestly bubbles out in all aspects of your life, uh, in your environment, in how you live, where, how your car is. And you certainly don't think you deserve anything good because you don't deserve anything good. You're not acting in a way. And the other issue is, is that the ultimate thing is that they're not really the problems. The addiction is an underlying problem. They're just a treatment to the addiction as far as I can work out. And as you said, it could be drug, drink, sex, gambling, whatever. Um, recognizing it's one thing, doing something about it is totally yep. another. That action, that action, that's the hard part. That's the hard part. Me saying I have something I need to work on versus me doing something about it, two different ballparks. Yeah. So, uh, so what did you do? What was the, what was the bottom the bottom, bottom, bottom for you. What was the rock bottom? What made you the, the rock? The rock bottom. So the rock bottom. The rock bottom. The rock bottom. There's. Uh, if you've seen Friends, where one, uh, Rachel says, "There's bottom. There's a pile of shit, and then there's her." It's a bit like that, right? You're in the bottom of the barrel, and you have that. And so, first thing first, it was again. Uh, I upset someone with the drugs and drink, and I stopped that in a second because I did the most epic form of self sabotage. Uh, that then, I may, I had the most hilarious ego dreams. Uh, I, I, I could get into some massive detail about that if you like, but basically, I kidded myself that I was okay after I stopped the drugs and drink, and of course I wasn't. And then I would say my ego came back to teach me how wrong I was in the most extraordinary way possible, and maybe totally crazy. And the thing about uh, ADHD and ADHD diagnosis, which is what one had, is that they can sort of butt up against uh, schizophrenia in terms of filtering systems. So the imagination and the, the ability to construct alternative realities is just supreme. And uh, that certainly was the case with me. And I definitely, uh, like I say, I have someone, upset someone that I personally care very much about. And that was it. And she told me how I was. And it was undeniable. It was totally undeniable. And I took on a coach. I'd been having therapy, but I took on a coach, um, a guy called Wes Watson, who I'd actually originally seen before back in August, but I couldn't face it. I couldn't face it. I couldn't face the reality. Of it. I couldn't face the effort that I knew that I'd have to do until this moment in time. And thank heavens I did. What was, uh, what was that first coaching session like? Um... affirming because it's did you fight at all did you fight at all did you fight against a back or anything no 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 no, this this was totally true there there are two things so back back in the day i always really wanted to be right i needed to be right it's an ego thing right look at me i'm so clever i know what i'm doing clearly clearly not And and again it came down to this point where i was i i think the term is surrender I think the term is surrender. I think the the giving over to the process, this was sort of it. I literally said, okay, I'll do what the hell you tell me. And the two things that I've done that very, very well with, and that's, that's the process I follow. I've been coached by him, uh, which I teach other people. And it's also then the mindful meditation where I took no preordained ideas or pre, because my spiritual journey was totally new to me and totally without framework or pre-preemption. And 
because I just accepted and threw myself into it wholeheartedly, fearlessly. I, I mean, we'll get into some of how that manifested in a bit with some of the stuff I was asked to do, which is hilarious. That's why it worked for me. I just took my my, my brain out and said, okay, I'm a vessel. Off I go. And it's the best decision I ever made. And you talk a little bit, you talked a little bit so far, but you talk a lot in, uh, you know, your profile and your, and your website about how spiritual, your spiritual journey and how that saved your life and, and kind of walk us through what spirituality means to you, what that journey was like and what you, what you kind of learned about yourself throughout that journey. Yeah, so I I use a particular app called Waking Up, which is Sam Harris, and Sam Harris is a neuroscientist, uh, philosopher, and uh, he's, he's also a Buddhist. And I looked at this initially back in 2019. So again, a lot of these things are pushing at the corner of your awareness, right? You sort of have low-key understanding that something's missing in your life, but you can't quite understand it. And it doesn't matter how, if you were spending, and I was spending up to $30,000 a month on nothing, right? Nothing to be filled there because it was not filling. So it coincided with the physical, you know, with, with the development there, you know, stripping yourself back calorically, engaging in something which isn't really exercise. It's, this is more about, this is so much more. And pri- you know, privation, discipline, control, agency, strength, uh, sacrifice and with the the spiritual journey was sort of uncovering the thing that was underneath the other thing and the other thing was the the child that was ruining my life and the other thing underneath was the man and it's a constant battle it certainly was a constant battle almost like you're going to war you're going to war every day every day you took on this mantle of being a kind of warrior poet that meditates, that's decent, that's kind, that's strong, that's reliable. And through the process of total commitment and discipline, you prove to yourself to an undeniable level that you are that person, not the other person. And that's why it continues. So it, it kind of builds from the physical and then seeing seeing the effort. So I lost... I think in 42 days, I think I lost 17 pounds. I was in the, essentially, I looked back, I was in about, about a 600 calorie deficit a day when I looked at it back. I was so motivated. Um, and you get the self-worth that comes with that. As we're standing, the, you know, the, the, the effort versus return, the, 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 the fruits of your labor, that you can do these things, that you can change. And then you tie that up with, a whole raft of positive self-talk affirmations about becoming a greater human being that's so optimistic and so loving to yourself that, you know, it's almost like you've been given permission finally to think highly of yourself of the highest level, the highest level. And that's just beautiful. It's that moment where, we start to have that internal validation mean more than external val- validation. And that is, a, that's a beautiful moment. And, and I love how you put that because, and you can, you can definitely tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems like 
from the little amount of time that we've talked, but there's always, you know, just, you know, right then and there, there's always that gratification that's instant when it comes to drugs and alcohol. But what you've kind of done through your journey and through the coaching that you received and the the mentorship and, and, you know, getting in shape and, and losing that weight is kind of that delayed gratification. Well, it's a combination of delay gratification and also non-pain avoidance. Uh-huh. So, so, so all of these. I mean, it's a bit like how people, most people, pain avoid in all sorts of, of ways, and drugs and drink is pain avoidance. Um, and when I, I would do cardio, and I would do it particularly slow, so I didn't exhaust myself. So I actually had to sit with high levels of negativity. The other, so so it actually just grind it through. It was almost like a piece of. I don't think it was actually in retrospect probably the best thing to do because there are issues about reinforcing negative mm. um, cycles. But that was my privation. That was my. I suppose to some degree kind of self-flagellation at that point in time that I genuinely felt that I had to do that as part of my offering of myself to become the other thing, which I hope to be uh, right now. Uh, so you have that, but you also have, you know, I, I have, I'm experiencing delayed gratification with the business and, and things like that, but that wasn't about me. That was something other. And then my value got attached to that. This is, totally about building a self so you can be useful building a self so you can actually be valuable for others as opposed to being useless which is what you feel when you have no self-worth so what so now what does your what does your day your week your month look like what does it look like for you to to have moved past that part of your life where you i mean you had your process in place you 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 worked you you had you had the alcohol, you had the drugs, but now you have to find time to to fit those empty spaces. Now I don't want to call them empty, but but you have to fill something else in that's positive versus the negative. What, how are your days spent now? And to keep you, and I'm asking this kind of twofold. The other part is how do you stop yourself from going back to that old person? Okay, so, so there's, there's a couple of things, which is. Uh, you have things that are no, totally non-negotiable and things that you will absolutely die on. You know, so yeah, when when I initially initially did this, you know, me me not hitting my macros, I was on two thousand two hundred calories a day, which for me, I what I mean, right now I'm two hundred seven, probably nine percent body fat, something like that. It's easy peasy uh, because I was so so distressed beforehand. Being in a, a, a deficit now is not that. It's just. It's not, an, it's not an issue. It's just not an issue. I just eat and train and I can sort of be there. It's very peculiar. So how it works is that I, I did that and I attached that to basically I would not be able to ever go back to this person ever. And there's an interesting story about that, how that was rewarded back then. Pro- that might be only it. But you attach it to something and you, you, you say that if that doesn't happen, that's all your fault. That's you take... Well, say extreme ownership would be the uh, Jocko Willink thing. So you take absolute ownership, no questions, no self-pity, no victimhood, and you bite down hard. And you use that pain and use that aggression to get you where you need to. When it happens to my morning process, my days are all the same. (laughs) So all the same. So I wake up now at 10 past three. I used to wake up at four, but I pushed that back to make it harder. 10 past three is now my wake-up time. 
So the second I wake up, I read. I read something educational. I do not read anything fantastical. Nothing. I don't even watch movies. Um, because I think you're being intentionally manipulated <laughs> to be your emotional state, as opposed to actually engaging in the real world with your emotional state and learning how to use these things. Um, I then write about it, write a regret, set my intention for today, which is roughly what I want to get done in the day, how I'm going to serve, all these things get wrapped up, and then I shower, up, coffee, gym. So I'm in the gym by four, and... My gym sessions, I mean, I've had a tattoo, so I've had to change these down, but I row for five minutes. I then do an offering of burpees, which is normally about 150. Oh, wait, no, no, this is nothing. I do, I, 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 I do like 400 burpees a day, typically. Um, I haven't done them for last week because of, uh, I, did it, I did it on this tattoo. It didn't heal properly. On this tattoo, it healed, healed well because I, I, I owe, guess what? I owe all those burpees. I owe them. I will have to pay them back. Anytime I have off, I've got to pay back. So, so I'll then do about 150 burpees in two or three sets. Again, it doesn't really matter. And some of the times I'm not even counting, I'll just get to a flow state. So I'll do 50 burpees and then get into a flow state. And then that's fine. I'll know roughly where it is. And I'll just go one, 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 and then I'll stop. And that's fine. And typically it does work out roughly at 150 burpees if I film it, give or take. And then I do high rep, moderate weight, hypertrophy training, where I'm not even paying any attention to the weights, really. It's just what I feel that on that day I can do. Because you're doing it for the feeling. You're not really doing it for the performance. I've done powerlifting. I used to squat, be able to squat, I don't know, 220 kilos, which is, what, 455? It's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's nearly, nearly 500 pounds. And as a result, this detracts the ego what it does do is that because of the consistency over time so monday tuesday when monday tuesday wednesday is like kind of push pull legs push pull legs and then anything else i train twice a day so the morning is done in about an hour and i have 20 minutes doing burpees or the like in the evening so not much but because of the it's almost like i'm so mitochondrially dense now that my work capacity is just built up to such hilarious levels. And because there's no days off, it's it's just a task I do. I used to be a ground worker and tarmac, and it's like I'm digging holes. This is, this is how it is, or I'm chopping logs. It's very weird. It's not exercise. It's something that I just happen to do. And you don't do it to look like this, and I look bloody ridiculous, frankly. Um, that's a consequence of the discipline and the and the self uh, the self control and the impulse control and the consistency. So you do it with no outcome in mind, as if by magic, something which looks like a fitness model grows out. And in all that, when like what's the nutrition look like now? I know you've talked about the macros and micros, but what? And you kind of talked about you kind of you you eat and and it doesn't really affect you that or i shouldn't say affect you but you don't really put that much stock into exactly what you eat but is there uh is there a rule to how like when you eat how things like that yeah well interesting so so basically i do i do track i do track through so i've been looking at 2500 but i've always been i've been bumping up because i've been i've been coming i've been coming down so i'm probably in about an 800 calorie deficit recently um 
with everything. Uh, so I skew 50, 50% protein if I can. I try to eat whole food proteins if I can. Uh, I will have protein powder occasionally, um, maybe after I've trained, but not too much of that. So it's typically meat. It's, it's a kind of uh, animal and fruit diet. I've only recently been doing this, and it simplifies things for me. And my gut health has been amazing. My skin is incredible. My satiety is through the roof. Uh, because I'm eating you know, a bit more fatty venison and things like that, it's about 10% fat, I don't crave things like mackerel. When I was in a calorie deficit back then, I'd have tinned mackerel in olive oil. I craved that. That was, that was like the most amazing food for me. And I'd eat it. And I swear to God, it just melted into my body. I felt high because I was so, so, so stripped back. I was so grainy. It was hilarious. So, so eating this way, I'm slightly hungry the whole time, which is perfect. That's exactly what I want to be. Uh, but I'm not craving anything. I I've, can't remember the last time. I've had, I've had desserts when I've gone on dates with women. Because... In my head, if I'd had desserts at home, that's child behaviour. That's evocative of the other thing, right? So it's not even a caloric thing. This is this is a behavioural discipline thing. However, if I'm out with a girl, that's adult behaviour. I can have that then as long as I just allocate for that. So these, these are all kind of philosophical meanings behind it as opposed to just the macros. And do you ever, do you ever feel bad about having that cake or having that extra? How does that, how does that make uh, you feel after that happens? Okay, so again, the context matters and the intentionality is everything. If I, so I, I, I will tell you, I bought a bunch of grenade bars because I thought I could save some money because I was eating a few. And I bought two weeks' worth, and then I put them in the freezer, and then I ate them all. I ate them all, right, in a day. Wow. <laughs> I, felt, I, felt, <laughs> right, I felt terrible. Clearly, I because all the malatol was just appalling. Um, and also I felt terribly guilty. It was almost like I got a big bag of cocaine and I snuffled it all because it wasn't what I ate. It was my lack of control and my lack of intentionality about it, which was worse, which was worse. So if I go out on a meal and I'm on a date, that's fine. I don't feel bad. In fact, actually, that's great because do you know what? In the morning when I train and I'm a bit carb depleted normally, I look massive it's hilarious so so you take the win out of this is how you shift your mindset to it so you don't as long as you've not done it frivolously and haphazardly then you can say that's fine and actually it's great because in the morning i'm going to be look sick <laughs> you're actually the second person i've heard say that and i've, I've taken that advice whenever i get to a, a night where i kind of feel bad about the food i've eaten i'm like you know what that's gonna be my energy in the morning that's going to be interesting. Yeah, you you, 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 you got you can't you kind of if you if you shift your mindset to either wins or acts of courage or even acts of heroism, depending what they are, then you know as long as you're largely morally aligned and consciously aligned, and you're not doing anything again. You'll know, you'll know. Then the guilt you feel about overeating a little bit, that's not a great deal in the grand scheme of things. It's imperfect progress. And take, turn that into a win to say, yeah, that's great. I'll be extra vascular. 
I love it. I love it. And so let's move on to the actual work that you're doing with your clients. So you are a coach and you help people. Um, yes. The, before we get into the specifics, I want I always like to ask this question of people who have gone through experiences and then try to help people. Do you think your level of empathy has increased because you have gone through what you have gone through so you can help people with their lives? I think... I think it's the quality of it. So there's, there was always, so I'd like, it, like I've always worked in healthcare and there's always this under, and I started off in the fitness industry back in 2000. That was my, I, you know, I, that was my initial studies. I worked in the industry and then I shifted off and worked into healthcare, uh, into healthcare sales for like some big corporates and then set my own business up in 2011. Um, so there was always this kind of desire to help, but it was a quality to it. And I think it's because I was a bloody hypocrite <laughs> and a fraud. And what I think it does is that now when I speak, it's a bit like if I ask people to do things, you know, if I ask people to break their comfort zones, I can say it because I've broken many. Just before this lesson, just before this, sorry, this podcast, uh, I was at a bachata lesson. Do you know what bachata I, I do is? I don't know what that is. It's it's basically like salsa, but a bit more groin, okay. right? So, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Okay. Right? So it's a bit more groin. And how this cropped up, so I was seeing this girl, and she was very lovely, and she, she danced a bit, and she hijacked me with a bachata social dance. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> this is like... I was 14 again, stood in the corner going, oh, my God, this is shocking. And I'm huge, right? I'm huge. So I looked like a right melt. And, uh, but I recognized it as an opportunity not to run, to go, there's an area of growth here. If I, feel, if I don't want to do it, I better do it. And that's what I was doing just now. I'm not seeing that girl anymore, but I persist. So that means I can say to you, do stuff which makes you feel uncomfortable. I come, it comes from a different place. And, again, when I understand people's pain very i think specifically men's pain especially if they have had addictions vices um and have been nihilistic i think it comes from a very different place and there's an interesting phrase i mean my my therapist said when i sort of discovered my ego she goes it needs needs compassion well compassion comes in different forms and lots of men need compression because that's respectful and they need, they need boundaries. They might even need punishment and admonishment before discipline, and then they get respect, and then they get compassion, love, because that's all forms of love, as long as it's coming from the right place. And I think within that is where I, I sort of see it, is that some people need compression and some people need compassion. Most people need compression because they've had comfort, and when they've had comfort, this is where the discipline comes in. It's essentially enforced privation when you don't need to do it. So when you do need to do it, you know you're strong enough. And that's where the self-worth comes. That is that's great to hear. And I know a lot of a lot of men, they might not they might not come out and say it, but they they do need those things and, and they need other men helping them. They need other men to to call them out and and be there for them. And and in your in your coaching, you help not just with mindset you help with physical discipline you help with nutrition you help with growth um people setting values and and gaining their own philosophy so kind of talk about the work that you do 
and how you help these people and these men with their lives. Yeah, so the interesting thing about doing the physical, you start with the physical because that's the attainable thing. That's the initial thing. That's where you can actually see the the, uh, the effort versus return, the, the, the consequences of your work. And if you put someone in a steep deficit and they're not used to it, you watch them four weeks later. As long as they are not turning into some kind of eating disorder, and that's that's part of the whole kind of long, long-term process, pull them down and reverse, reverse diet them back up. And then you push them harder than they think they could do because they'll come back and say, oh, but I've ha- I need the sleep. And you tell them to shut the fuck up and get on with it. And if they're listening to you, they'll get on with it. And you'll say, your, your grandparents didn't need sleep. Your ancestors, they'll be looking down at you from wherever they are, from Valhalla, and going, what the hell have you done with our efforts? <laughs> it's sort of like, and I will go along sometimes and do, do so burpee sessions. So they'll be doing, I'll be doing more. That's the point. I cannot have a fragility and weakness. And I'm a 46-year-old man, so I've got to be able to iron these fools out. I've got to be able to iron these fools out. Go, okay, come on. I don't need to be doing this, but I am. And having that ability to to ramp it up for them and put them in their box is essentially an aspect of leadership. And I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's sort of somewhat needed. And once you sort of go through the whole diet thing, it's quite quick, within about one or two weeks. The self-belief shifts. I, I mean, I, I'm doing some work with some guy. He used to be a Tour de France athlete. And he had a congenital heart problem. That's why he got invalided out. And it would give him a, um, arrhythmias. And when he did this, he would drink normally. And we were training. And it was nothing to do with training. It just happened. It came up. And that was the first time ever that he can recall that he actually just sorted himself out without the booze because he was so in believing in himself. It's phenomenal. It was, it was the most incredible moment. Incredible. So the work builds the worth, as they say. You instill self-belief by going, actually, do you know what? Just diet a bit harder. Diet a bit harder. Keep going. Just keep going. Keep going. And they'll whinge. you say, no, keep going. I've been there. I've done this. I've been there. Look, I've got the bloody photos. Keep going. Keep going. And then they start to enjoy it. Then they start to see... Oh, I actually feel a bit paired back. Everyone else around me, they're a bit soft. Oh, they, we're, I'm doing something extraordinary. Oh, actually, now I'm waking you know, and especially things like the wake-up time and stuff like that, which is challenging. It's like probably the hardest thing for most people, weirdly. You start to power that in, and then they turn them into little warriors. It's amazing. And within that, you start piling in the mindset, and the, the, they're just open. Just open and da, 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 and that just gets more. It's amazing. And what I what I love about that is and, and why I am a huge advocate for any type of coaching or leadership or mentorship, whether that be you know uh, life coaching, uh, uh, any kind of certified trainer or anything like that, is that coaches have the ability to to push you past your limits that you have placed on yourself. Yeah. Because even if, if the yeah. first part of it, even if you say the physical part of it, even you say the, the, the caloric deficit, you know, I might think I can get eight reps out of this. And once I get to eight, I'm like, oh, that was, that was great. And as that coach sitting there, no, we're going, we're, we're doing more. Yeah. 
Well, shall I shall I tell you about how I like the best? Well, I mean, this is a fairly maybe this is this is an extraordinary thing. So my business is pretty good, and one of the things that we said about is comfort and comfort kills. So he said, "You need to find that you need to distress yourself financially." Now Wes has done all right. He came out of prison five years ago, and now he's like you know multi 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 millionaire. His story and his application and his will to commit is quite extraordinary. So why listen to someone? Well, he's done it, therefore. Right. So this is all how I take it. I've done it. So you should bloody listen to me. So he goes, you need to financially distress yourself. So do you know how I financially distressed myself? I bought a very expensive Italian supercar and it, it kills me. <laughs> and, and what? It, um. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it's, it's lost so much money, but the more money it loses, the better. Right. And, and, and it's, and it's not, it's not about proving, but it's about, it's, it's all wrapped up. It's not an ego thing. It's the opposite. It's a difficult thing to do. It's about breaking a lit self-limiting belief. And there's all sorts of interesting stuff wrapped up in that. All sorts of interesting stuff wrapped up in that. It's so, you know, it's, if you look to my Instagram, you know, it's, it's a blue electrico 488 um, spider. It's a Ferrari, and it was the most expensive one in the country, which which it didn't have to buy. But it was it was almost like someone looked into my heart and picked that colour. It was secondhand, clearly, and they'd spec it for me from the future. And I went, okay, I will do that. <laughs> and I just and again, I gave myself out to the process, and it's it's been a very interesting experience, but it did the job. And guess what? It did cause me financial distress, but then I actually then had to go and work out how to solve that financial distress. And I did. That's what it did. It pushed my comfort way outside and I sorted it. You will sort stuff out. You just have to build confidence that, you know, you have that. And that's what it's doing. You forget that you're competent. You forget that you're capable. You forget that you are, you sit atop the shoulders of your ancestors who went through shit and corruption and all that's genetically in you. You're just you're just living in a world which isn't eliciting the response. It's a David Goggins thing, isn't it? Right, where you you, you can just do it differently. He he chooses physicality, but there are emotional distresses that you push. There are physical. There are spiritual ones you do, and there are financial ones, and they're all kind of interrelated. You know, and and as a result, if you push in all of those areas, you can become a truly actualized human. And you, you use all those skills everywhere. And uh, just let me say, it is a beautiful car. It is a, be- it is a beautiful vehicle. Um, yeah. I don't know what my wife would say if I, if I showed up with that and said, hey, I'm, I'm fine. Oh, she, 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 she'd fancy the pants off you, mate. It have, it's never got me laid. I want to say that. <laughs> it's never got me laid. For you, it's fine. It's exactly. So when I very first got it, this is it's some of the weird things. There was this beautiful girl with dreadlocks walking past me. And you'd never think she'd be into anything like that. And she might not be. She looked at me and she smiled at me in a particular way. And it wasn't, I fancy you. It might have been, but it had a quality. And I think it was, oh, you did that. You did that. It's got a totally different quality. You did, you did something totally stupid. Good for you. <laughs> if we could only all get out of our comfort zones like that, that would be it. 
Well, it's it's all rel- it's it all relative. relative. They yes. say from these things is all relative, and, and and that's what I had to do at my mm. level because otherwise it just wouldn't touch the sides. And this is why you have a coach, and they look at you and go, "Okay, what can you do?" Which is commensurately the same, but not necessarily financially, but it might be doing something because it's all fear based, and my life was all fear based, and most people's lives are fear based, and and that keeps them small and not exploring their capabilities in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and I'm sure those, you know, once you get somebody into your program and, and you have that caloric deficit and those wake-up calls, like, you probably have a lot of guys pushing back on you. and Or maybe they don't. Maybe maybe they do, yeah. No, it, it, it's interesting. They, they push back by not turning up in the first bloody place. This is amazing. I, I, I think I, my follow-through is like, so low <laughs> it's so low it, like percentages everyone backs off but that's okay i backed off you know and it's like i just just go okay i'm there and then i'll go and concentrate on other people but the people who come through is amazing it's amazing and i think that some people may look at that and and, and think oh why would you do that you you know if it's your it's your job to get them there and you know the fact of the matter is that as a, as a good coach we still have to let people live their own lives and follow their own journeys. Like we're only there to guide them. And yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally that. It's totally that. And cause I had, I forgot who I had in the show, but it was a, it was a, a life coach and a, and a therapist. And, and he lived in the, in the space where it was like, there was therapists and life coaches out there that would make people feel guilty for not following up after the initial consultation. With things like, oh, I guess you don't want to change your life. Oh, I guess it's, you know, and it's like, that's not the, that's not the point of any of this. That's not that this person probably feels bad enough already. <laughs> and they're, they're about to make a life changing decision. It is, it's hard because it's sort of like, you know, how, if you, if you sit at the bottom, if you're sitting at the bottom of a mountain of shame, you probably can't right. feel any worse anyway. That's the other thing, Right. And I suppose his, he would be the thing. I mean, certainly Wes is, mm. <laughs> he doesn't say specifically, he puts a message out. And of course, messages trigger people. And the reason why it triggers them is because they know it's related mm. to them. Um, and I suppose sometimes when you are so depressed, when you're so low, when you're so in that position, you need a bloody hammer. You, know, you can't just go, it's okay, come over here, you need a hammer. I haven't mastered that yet. Um... He does all right, so I guess what he's doing seems to work for his cohort. But he, you know, he's, for example, not to talk about much too much about him, but I do respect him massively, and he changed my life. He saved my life, um, and I hope I can do that for others as well. Is that what do you say? He has people on like his base package who are working homeless, but it's it's about the commitment to change, and I can't. Yeah, you know, it's like. I'm not sure if it's an American thing where self-improvement is a bit more there. In Britain, people are a little bit more servile to their states, I think, in general. And I think it's a cultural thing. It's a lack of aspiration. And you get very few people like me here, especially where I live. I live somewhere pretty swish. And I am like a spaceship. I'm a spaceship most places, but I am like, as a 46-year-old, I, I float around like the Goodyear blimp, like a like a hench Goodyear blimp. It's hilarious. Uh, Ross is dropping 
nuggets and knowledge on us. And, and this is... Well, <laughs> so, we're getting started. So this has been you know, absolutely wonderful. And, and, and before we start to kind of shut it down here, I, I wanted to ask you one question I've been saving. And I wanted to make yes, sure please. I asked this. And, and I wanted to ask you if you've forgiven yourself, if you've forgiven that person you used to be. It took, it took, do you know, genuinely, I think there's still a bit which hasn't, right? But I think, I think my healing journey is 90% there and that's based on how, part of it's about throwing yourself under a bus and seeing how you cope and the, all my stuff is related to this, you know, that, that incident really. Um, I think... I have been given forgiveness for that, which is I'm very grateful for. Um, I think that slight aspect of non-forgiveness is still a thing which burns in me, that little power of regret. There's a seed there. There's a seed there. And actually, I'm quite thankful for that because every time, it's like my ego very gave up the drugs and drink. I had a dream where I choked it out. It tricked me that I killed it. It's so clever. So the fact that I actually have this seed of occasionally, I'm grateful for. I actually think that's actually quite good for me. But in general, I'm there. I'm certainly there enough that means I can function. I'm certainly enough in there that I can love again. I'm certainly enough in there that I actually operate my love. My life is guided by two factors. Am I coming from a place of love or fear? And am I growing or decaying? They're both related statements. But love and fear, I lived in fear and that brought all the worst traits of me out. All of them. And whenever I think I'm slipping back, I would say, no, come from a place of love. Just come from a place of love. And I have to remind myself constantly of that. And it's a reprogramming process. It really is. It really is. Well... We are all pulling for you. You've done great work so far, and, and I really appreciate the fact that you're now using this knowledge to help others. How do people learn more about you online, and how do, how do they get in contact with you online? Well, the best way to do it is find me on Instagram, which is Ross underscore Tyler underscore Burgess. You'll see a slightly angry, <laughs> bald-headed man. He's not lying. He's not lying because I'm looking at with, him. With, with 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 beard and with not, but you know, if um, but there's there's nice cars and the occasional dog and lots of shirtless photos of me, um, and the occasional nice bit of kit. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> that that is great, Ross. This has been amazing. One of my again, I wanted to be organic and authentic, and I think we achieved both. Thank you, sir. This has been amazing. Continue to do great things on your in, in your life and in the process, and you just have a great rest of your day. You too, sir. Thank you. Peace out. Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6 a.m. Run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AMRun to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.